We're on. <laughs> you can all hear me. Am I coming through a little loud? Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. We've been looking forward to this time. We met Dave Jones. I'm sure you all know Dave. The biggest rogue in London. <laughs> uh, no, a great guy. We didn't realise how long our connections went back. It's interesting how you meet people back there and you suddenly come together again after all those years. God has a wonderful agenda. You think you just met and that's it, but it's been a really good journey. And we met John. Uh, he came over to the base and said, we had a great time with John and we sort of thought, well, we talked to various things. We thought, leave it there, over to God. And then John contacted us and invited us to come. And we've really been looking forward to this weekend. We're really glad that we met John, but we've also pleased to have met Dawn, his wonderful wife. And we're having a great time with them. We feel really, really at home in their home. We felt really at home with the leaders last night and with you, God's people. There is somebody who knows me better than David. Is, is Annabelle here still? Annabelle. Stand up, Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle. David, I knew Annabelle when she was like that. Uh, sorry, there is someone. So if you want to know me, if anybody thinks, who is this guy? See Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle, I was more like... I more like came to the King's School, didn't I, when you were there? And I more like gave you a prophetic word at some stage. That's right. Right, those, all those early years. I know her parents. The only sad thing about her family is I also know her brother, Miles, which is another story, Annabelle, isn't it? I hope you're going to tell him what I've just said. Um, but he's a great guy. Um, but um, it's just amazing the contacts that you get. But I'm really pleased to be here. I'm not going to go any further than that. We're looking forward to this morning. I've got some prophetic words. I've got some stuff I want to give to the church. I've got some individual words for various people. Can I just uh, give you a very brief outline of... This is all being recorded, isn't it? Good. Um, this is how I'd like to work. When I give you a... If I give you a personal prophetic word, if you could see me afterwards... Because what I don't want to do is please him. I don't want to dump a word on you and go, that's it, forget it, accept it or reject it. Sometimes people need to ask questions to understand it more. Sometimes a cultural thing, when you go to Africa and India, you cross cultural things and the stick is something else out there. And um, so all of those things. So it's so important, and it's important for me to be accountable to you, but also for your leadership to be involved with it as well. Because there needs to be an accountability in what we give and what we share. And um, listen, we all can get it wrong, we all can get it right. Um, I've had it wrong, and um, we've had all forms of letters and all of that, and we had one church where I had one prophetic word for a guy, and as far as the elders were concerned, it was really, really wrong. And so we had some correspondence, and I decided I took the road, repent. To me, that's the route. If it's God, you can't go wrong. If it's you, you can get it right by repenting. 
It's the best way out. And so I went through this process and I thought, forget it, you'll never get asked back to this church. And you don't expect to. And two years later, I had an invitation to go to the church and to talk about prophecy that weekend. So I talked and talked and talked and talked about prophecy and I didn't do any prophetic words at all. And the pastor said to me, he said, Brynn, he said, you haven't prophesied. He said, you need to. He said, you need to break through the barrier. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes when you have a, go through an old period of correction, you can clear it all up, but you've got to walk back through the door. And he said to me that night, I want you to prophesy. He said, I don't care if it's not God. <laughs> I thought, pardon, after all what happened? And so I went through the process, and it was really powerful. The amazing thing was, six years later, the word that I'd given to that person actually turned out to be a true word from God. And so it all reversed itself. But it, it was a wonderful, wonderful learning curve because it tracks your motives and what are you looking for and what are you not looking for. You know, but really, at the end of the day, I just love Mark, your worship this morning. It was so God-centered. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, say, the Bible, Isaiah says, his whole, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it is, it's just full of his glory. We're here, not for ourselves, but we're here for his glory. And I, Corinthians says this, it says in John's Gospel, it says this, that, that God took his glory and put it into one person. One amazing person, one fantastic person, one great person, where only his glory could fully go and be established. And that was in his son. John's Gospel said, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the one and only Jesus Christ. But 2 Corinthians says this, but we, not just Jesus, but we, the people of God, we have this glory in jars of clay. You know, this is an old cracked jar, a chip jar, dirty jar in some places. But the amazing thing is, saints, that God has entrusted of putting something of his glory in each one of us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that outrageous that God should do it? And God should use a people like you to express and extend his kingdom in this whole area. What a privilege we have to think that God has chosen us to display to reveal and to show his glory. Siri alone, as guys that went there, God took you there, jars of clay, to empty his glory in specific places. Sometimes you can come back and think we've hardly done anything. 
But God's glory never departs. It just gets more and more because Jesus said, God said this in his word, as surely as I live, says the Lord, my glory shall cover the earth. At that stage it didn't. But what he's saying, God's glory is growing and it will cover the entire earth. And you know what? I'm looking forward to that day when everything is kingdom. We know talk kingdom, but sometimes think we aren't kingdom. Right, I'm going to go into some prophetic words first. Um, I just got something, John, for the church here. I, um, we listened to lots of little things last night. And, um, but um, <clears throat> one of the things that God captured in my mind back, was back in July um, when I was still thinking, are we coming or not? And my son, John, my youngest son, is um, he's suddenly gone mad on gardening. So all the lawns have been ripped up in where they live, and he's put little greenhouses up, these polystar greenhouses. He's been growing this and growing that, and um, we've had some laughs and fun with him over failures as well as successes, and uh, things leaks just disappeared, and he promised them for Christmas, and they didn't come, and Brussels he promised for Christmas, and they didn't come, but other things he promised did come, so it's been a real mixture, but in his greenhouse, he brought this big clay pot, little holes in the side, and he had a strawberry plant. He said, Dad, I've never, ever grown strawberries, but I'm going to have a grow at strawberries. So he took us up the garden and said, look at this, Dad, look at this, Dad. And you know what? God often speaks out of ordinary things down the road. We need to get into God, but God speaks out of everything you look at this, this in Matthew 13, the parables. It was ordinary day events that God revealed amazing secrets of what the kingdom of God is like. And in prophetic words, God uses everyday events. Jeremiah 18, the potter at the wheel. He showed him something, and out of it God spoke. And God started to speak to me and said, you're going to go to London to John's church, and this is what I want you to say. And I felt the Lord say, you are like a strawberry plant in a clay pot. You might not think that's very grand. And God says, you here this morning are the first fruits of this plant. You're the strawberries. But God says that is only the beginning. I believe, John, we're at a significant period of time in church here in New Line. Because out of it, down the road in August, I saw something on the strawberry plant where God started to speak again. It was like pieces of string that were running out. And John said to me, Dad, what are these? I said, John, they're runners. So what you do, you get them, 
and you push them into the ground and you get another strawberry plant. And you do it there and you get another strawberry plant. And you do it right across there and you draw another strawberry plant. And you put it right over there and there's another strawberry plant. But it relies on this big pot, which is you, to keep feeding it and to keep giving to it the nourishment, the direction, the love, the care in order for this to grow. I believe God wants to grow out of this strawberry plant other strawberries, plants. And I believe God is in the business of expansion and in multiplication. I believe God is saying, I want to start to multiply. I'm the God of multiplication. And I believe God is saying to you, the season of the world says it's not right, but the season in God saying now is the time to start to think, to plan and pray and cry and seek me to put these runners into the ground. And I believe God is saying it's going to have a little disturbance here, but it's going to bring a greater and a bigger and a more far-reaching expression of God and his kingdom than we ever seen before. And I believe God is saying, John, to us, you're a strawberry plant. And when Nathan and those guys stood up this morning, I felt God say to me, and I didn't know that John was going to the Ukraine, I felt God say to me, you see, Bryn, I'm giving little pots to the leaders and to other significant people. Not so big as John's pot, but small pot with little strawberries in. And you're going to take them to other nations. And Nathan, when you stood out this morning with, I think it was Hans and the other guy, I felt God say to me, John, Dawn, you've gone to nations. And you don't know it, but you've taken strawberry plants to plant. But I felt, John, for these guys, when they stood up this morning, I felt God say this to you three guys. You're going to take far more than your dad in the Lord ever did. That's not, I'm not putting him in, I'm not putting John down. I'm saying there's a development. What John has started is going to increase and multiply in ways in which you never, ever thought or dreamt of. And I believe it's, it's a strawberry plant principle that God is putting in us this morning. Is it starts small and it grows big. And I believe God is saying that's the principles of the kingdom. It starts small and it grows big. And do you know what? You'll always need a pot contain what God is doing. But God wants to say this to you. 
make sure the pot is always opened and never controlling or pushing at the top because God can't cope with that. I believe God showed me something too else for us as a church this morning. I was uh, I had a picture in, in, in my mind, I've had it for weeks. I saw this bird's nest, and it was like an eagle's nest. And it was an eagle's nest. It was high up on a rock. And this eagle kept coming down to feed the young. But in the eagle's nest, it wasn't exclusive eagles there. There were other types of birds. There were smaller birds and big. But this eagle was feeding all of them and getting them ready. And they were really secure in their nest, and they were happy in their nest. They were chirping and making all the various noises that birds make. And I believe for some of us here, it's great, it's lovely, it's wonderful in this strawberry pot. You know what the eagle does? It pushes them out to fly. And there's people here that God will push you out, not to get rid of you, but to get you to exercise what God has put within you. Because I believe we're in a place here where there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. It's all there, and it's wonderful, but you know what? It needs to be constantly used. The more the bird uses its wings, the stronger the bird gets, and it develops all forms and all types of skills. And I believe God is saying for all the region, please hear me, I believe God is saying to us with the strawberry plant, is not just this area, it is this location and this region that God is looking at for us to plant and expanding, I believe there's an old diversity of gifts that God is going to use. Um, last night we just touched and we knew a little bit about Nathan and his wife. And I said to John afterwards, if I was a 50-year-old pastor, I could gladly steal him from you and take him away with me. And um, when I looked at Anne's this morning uh, making a commitment, I thought, I could steal him as well, John. I'm into the stealing business, but I'm 60-something, so I won't steal. But listen, there's guys here, there's women here, but God is going to use you in all forts. I think church, God wants us to think differently. We think of the pastor full stop. God wants us to see that to touch this area... It's going to take more than a pastor. It's going to take more than a prophet. It's going to take more than an evangelist. It's going to take all types and sorts of odd people with un gifts that are not fully explained or understand to develop all that God wants to do. Um, I believe God say to you, look at the needs right across the region. And I believe God is saying... Right in here, their skills, some of them are not fully developed to meet and touch and affect 
and have a big impact upon those things. I believe God wants us to look. It's lovely to see all the different cultures here this morning. We don't see it our, our way, do we, Annabelle? It's normally all white faces and a, a colored face or a black face is a little bit odd. But it's nice to see the variety because God's kingdom has got no color. It's all God color. It's beautiful. But God wants to expand something and develop something. And I believe, you know, there's a, like a little shaking going on. There's a nervousness. How do we go? How do we move forward? And I believe God is saying it's time to move out and to push out of the nest. Because God wants to do something that is powerful and that is sovereign. I believe God is going to say for every seat that goes into something new, God will fill it four times. And I believe God says let go and let's get on with what God wants to do. I believe the future is really, really wonderful. And God says this, it's not just the young I want to use, it's the old as well. I haven't got a kingdom of young or of old. I've got a kingdom of people. And I believe God wants us to look at the Joshua. He stood there and he said, now I am 80. I can see, I can do as much as I could back there. And there is some surprising older folk here that God says it isn't just coming on a Sunday and sitting, but I've got plans for you right out there. And there's people here who are sitting on prophetic words. They were given years ago, and you think, I haven't got a clue how God can fulfill it. But listen, God does it like that. When I was a 16-year-old lad, I just got saved. I was in a Methodist church, and I went through, and there was a, a missionary from Kenya. And he met me at the door, and he said, young man, you're going to go to Kenya one day. And I looked at him in the face, I said, sir, I can't go. I haven't got any money. And he said, rubbish. You can see his finger flicking up my face now like that, John. 35 years of age, I was on a plane. It was the first time I flew. And I was going to Kenya. And I remembered that word in the sky, what he said. See, I thought it could never be fulfilled. And you know what? There's people here who think, I can't see how God can do it. Don't ask your pastor or your leaders. They haven't got a clue either. But if God has said it, God is going to do it. And don't give up on it. Keep it there in your heart. Keep it there in your heart. If you can turn, if you've got Bibles, you can turn into Isaiah verse, chapter 6. And it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was I. He was lifted up, and the train of his robe, it filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. 
With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another's. That is how the worship fits in with their reading. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the flashing floor shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, the taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said to me, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, powerful words. This is a chapter I've lived with for three years, darling, isn't it? You know, when Isaiah started his ministry, this, is, this was the most vital chapter in all of Isaiah. Without six, we won't get anything else. He had to have an encounter with the king. He had to have a divine visitation in order to go on. And you know, people say, just get on with it. But you know what? Each one of us has to have that encounter with God, where God tips our lives upside down and inside out. With God, it's just so much God. It's so interesting that Isaiah, he saw the Lord in the temple but it was in the year that Uzziah the king had died. Uzziah was not a normal king. He wasn't a bad king. Uzziah was a good king. It tells us in chapter 2 Chronicles 6, it says this, what he did for his people, he built towers. He dug ditches. Why did he build towers and dig ditches? To protect and keep his people safe. He was, in, he was concerned with their welfare. He was concerned with the welfare of the city. We're kings, we're priests. We have to have a concern and a welfare for the place where we're living and where we're working and where we're involved. He said he had herdsmen, men who looked after cattle, in order to provide milk, in order to provide food for the people. He wasn't just a warrior, he was a provider king. He looked after his people. He looked, he had vineyards, he cared. He was interested in everyday things of life. It says this in verses 12 and 14 of chapter 26. 
He produced fathers and men of valor. And you know what, ladies, ladies of valor as well. We need them all, don't we? But you know what? We need fathers in our nation, in our world. I was at a conference of about 40-odd people up the north, and the three-day conference was this. What would Wilberforce be fighting for if he came back today? That was a powerful, I thought, wow. Poverty, third world, and all those things. Do you know what the big thing that came up was men being fathers? And it's true. Men, I'm not saying us Christians, we shouldn't have, but in the world, men have given up being fathers. It's a dreadful world and a frightening world, and we think. A mother can do it. She only can bring one side to the child, just as a father can only bring one side to the child. But a child needs to know how a female operates as well as a male operates, because if they don't, they'll be lopsided in life. We're already seeing it. But you know what he did? He was, did all these marvelous things, but it says this in verse 16. But when he became strong, another translation says, when he became successful, proud, he got proud, and he acted corruptly, and he acted unfaithfully, and he went and did something that a king should never do. He went into the temple, and when he did, he put his hand, and he received leprosy. We all have restrictions, even leaders, in the world, in the church. And when you go beyond your restriction, you can get, please hear me, we can get worldly leprosy, but we can get spiritually lepers. It went beyond his call of duty. And out of that he died. It was a tragedy for the nation of Israel. It was a big, big loss. Because it was never, normally when you had a good king, you had a bad king to follow. That was his history. But when he got there, it says this, and a second man now is in a temple. Isaiah. It says this. Isaiah, Uzziah died. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. That's a powerful word. He doesn't say, David, do you know what? I thought I saw the Lord. Do you know, David, I felt I saw the Lord. I think I might have had a vision or some funny experience of God. He doesn't say any of that. He makes, he, he makes a statement that's totally unnegotiable. He says, I saw the Lord. It was clear, it was precise, it was a declaration, it was a proclamation of what he said, I saw the Lord. And he didn't just talk about, I saw the Lord, he says this about the Lord, he said he was high, he was lifted up. 
He wasn't just there. He was I and he was lifted up. He was in the throne room of God. It was a powerful and amazing experience that he saw. He saw the one who rules the nations. He saw the one who knows the beginning and who knows the end. Aren't you glad that there's one who is enthroned forever and ever and ever and ever? And if, if there is any more forever, it is forever who sits on the throne. You can't, he can't be elected, he can't be got rid of. He's there forever. And you know, with all the shaking that's going on, all the wonder, the fear, the anxiety, isn't it wonderful to know there's one who sits on the throne? The psalmist says this, he also sits on the circle of this earth, laughing at the foolishness. And the way we're trying to get out of this big world economic mess because he knows the beginning from the end. And he's the one who says to us people, whatever form of circumstance you're in, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But I'm with you all the way through. He doesn't say you're going to have billions of dollars. He said, I'm with you. And you know what? That's all we need to know. I'm, he's with me. My God is with me. He provide. He will look after me. And would you know what? When I mess it up, God still looks after me. Isn't that amazing? He's the one who knows our destiny. Romans says this, we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purposes. God knows. We know he's for us. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who can separate me from this amazing love that is in Christ Jesus? Can death, can persecution, can trials, can anything separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? No, nothing can, Paul says. It's complete. It's a deal for life. He couldn't escape him. God was in the temple. There was a seraphims. He wasn't alone. It says this, he said, its train, it filled the temple. I love that. I always get this picture, John, of a wedding in our churches. Can you imagine this? And the bride comes and her train, it's all down the aisle. But can you imagine her train filling all of the room over all the lot of us and we can't see anything other than this train. And in the New Testament, we get the picture of the rempire entering in after his victory with his train of victories. You know what? His temple, God's temple, where his temple is just full of his victories, of the things that he's done for us. They're flooding our lives, they're filling our lives. They're just, 
You know, you might think, well, I'm in a downer. I'm not in good space. Look at what God has done. Grab hold of it. Hold on to it. He's done amazing things. He's infinite. He's, they, couldn't, they started to talk to one another. And they started to say to one another, Philip, they started to go like this. They kept coming, these seraphims, they kept coming up to one another and going, Philip, I want to say something to you. God is holy. And to her sister, God is holy. Nice and quiet, don't disturb anybody. No, no, no. They shouted, Holy! Holy! Holy is the Lord God Almighty! They were excited. In our worship, we were really giving it, the kids were really giving it this morning. Nice little bit of worship. Holy! Holy! Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Goodsmay is full of his glory. And you know, when you look down the streets, that's not quite true. Nowhere nearly true. But from God's point of view, from the angelic point of view, they could see God's glory filling the whole earth. Because when you're up there, you see the beginning and the end. Listen, there's good things ahead. We might have some cuts in this and that, but listen, in God, there's good, there's no cuts. There's no squeeze on with God. He's not saying, guys, I'm running out of my Holy Spirit, I'm going to have to stop it. He said, no, it's unexplainable. You can't stop it. It's immeasurable. He keeps pouring and pouring it out on us. He wants to keep filling us. In Revelation, it talks of God's glory. In Revelation 4 and 5, you get caught up with it, don't you? It starts to say, blessing, honor, glory, praise, dominion, be unto you, the Lamb who sits on the throne. I can't keep quiet. We need to be a throne room people. Constantly up there with God. Looking at life from his perspective and not my perspective. I was, many years ago, everything that could go wrong went wrong. For Dorothy and me. And here I am, I stood in the pulpit, I prophesied and did all of this, and I was saying, oh, Darth, I don't know what's going on, it's all going wrong. Oh, I just feel like giving up. I'm fed up, I want to give up, and everything. It's something like 20-odd years ago. My wife's a very quiet woman, and a little shy as well. And suddenly she came to me, John, like this. She said, silly man. Boy, you're supposed to be subject to me. You shouldn't say those sort of things. You silly man, she says. Can't you see that God is about to do something? Listen, it's when we get into our darkest place. It's so often there when the impossible seems the impossible that God turns around and does something. And God is going to do something. 
God, Moses got there, didn't he, to that point where he said to the Lord, he said, now Isaiah in Exodus 33 said, God, show me your glory. How many would have loved to have been in the temple with Isaiah? How would you long have been his little boy? I'd have loved to have been his little boy. But do you know what? Moses was here, he said to God, he said, teach me your ways. That's a brilliant thing to be knowing God's ways. So he taught him his ways and he goes, God, I want your presence. And God says, granted. You'd have thought, well, that's of hey, many of you. If we had his presence and we had to, we're taught all his ways this morning, that would be sufficient for a meeting, wouldn't it? But Moses was greedy. He said, now show me your glory. He wouldn't give up church. Don't be passive with God. So that was very nice. Keep asking for more. We've got to be the Oliver Twist. Lord, I want some more. God doesn't stand there like the guy did with a big whip. He stands there with the open arms and he says, I've got so much more to give you. He hasn't just made enough of leftovers. He's given us the not the leftovers, but the bestovers as well. Everything there is. And he got there and he says, show me your grace. And he showed him his glory. He said, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and in faithfulness. His love is unconditional. He loves me when I'm a sinner. He loves me when I'm a saint. He just loves me. Church, if we can get hold of his love and really understand it's not my love. My love. You know, when Dorothy and me, we sometimes, you might not believe this, but we can have cross words even after 47 years of marriage. And when we do, if it's her that's having cross words, I will say to her, what's wrong? Nothing. And if it's me, she'll say to me, what's wrong? And I go, nothing. Both nothings are lies. Because we're upset with one another. And we have to put it right. But God's love still keeps on loving us just the same. You know, when church is split, we say, well, God loves that church more than that church. He loves both churches and both sets of people. He's forgiving. He's maintaining love. But he will not continually let the sinner off the hook. There is punishment and judgment. And you know what? That's all wrapped up in his glory. The love, the compassion, the judgment of God, it's all wrapped up in his glory. And our God is a good God. And you know what? He gave his glory to his amazing son. And his amazing son received his glory. But then he gave his glory to us. Isn't that remarkable? This dirty old jar chipped, a bit ragged and worn out. But he gave his glory to you. Sister, he gave his glory to you just as he gave it to me. Isn't that remarkable? We both have something in common. You and me, we have his glory. And although I've never met you until today, that makes me your brother, and that makes you my sister. Isn't that amazing what God has done? Isn't that powerful? And then Isaiah, who is in this temple, he suddenly gets to this one point, he sees the king, and it brings something out of him. He says, woe is me! 
but he couldn't get away from this one fact. But my eyes have seen the king. Although he was saying, I'm a sinner, there's something wrong with me, he couldn't get away from his one fact. I've seen the king. You think you've got to be so pure and right to seek Jesus, to have Jesus speak to you, you'll never get there. But you can hear the king and see the king, just like you are, because God wants to visit you. And he said, woe is me. It was grief. He was filled with an overwhelming conviction of his unworthiness. And suddenly, all around him, there's a shaking, and there's a shaking going on in the nations, shaking in the economy, a shaking in the church, the shaking in the business world. Everywhere something shaking, education, law, society, there's something shaking. And yet the one thing that cannot be shaken is God's indestructible kingdom. But everything else can and will be. And Isaiah gets to this place, woe is me. And it says this, and God starts to talk. Can you imagine being in this room this morning? You're the only one there in this room. You're a young man. You come out at the front here. Can I use you? I'm God. All right, good morning, I'm God. What is your name? Ben. Ben, you're the only man in this room. All this lot is missing. The chairs might be here, but they're all missing. I'm God. And I start to talk like this. Whom shall I send? And who will go for me? No choice. No choice. And Isaiah says, send me. Send me. John, I finish with this word. Send me. What about the strawberry plant? Bits of plants, bits of strawberries, bits of roots. That's you lot and me. Send me. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to be sent? Are we willing to see what God wants us to do? If you know that God has touched you, even with the illustration of Ben, you think, I want to go. You don't know where you're going. You haven't got a word or anything else, but you just want to be sent by God. I want you to stand up right now in your seats. I want to pray. And then I want, to close, I want John to close here. Just send me. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Send me. Send me. Send me. Send me, Lord. Listen, God is not looking for the perfect. God is not looking for the eloquent. God is not looking for the well-qualified. God just uses people. Listen, guys, when I was at school, in my days you didn't have GCSEs, John. We had O-levels, right? When I got to my age of doing O-levels, the headmaster pulled me aside and he said, Bryn, it's a waste of time you doing O-levels. 
you won't get any. He said, why don't you go and dig my garden for me? So I did, because I knew I couldn't do them. I could read and write, and that was just about it. And I tried to get into the Methodist ministry, and they said to me, you're not educated enough. That's the best thing they ever said to me, John. Because <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. But listen, you might have no education at all. You might have it all up there. Whether you've got bra a brain filled with brains or a brain filled with nothing, like mine, God can send you. It has no restrictions in God. Father, I pray this people, I ask this people, that you would fill them with your powerful Holy Spirit and with your anointing and with your grace and with your favour and with your love. And Lord, you would send them. You would send them down their road. You would send them down their street. You would send them into their workplace. You would send them into this and into that, into the parks, into amongst young folk. God, there would be such a sending and an harvest and a reaping. And Lord, I pray for the elders of this church. I want to pray for a big, big problem for them. And it's this, that so many people will be coming to Christ and knowing Christ and finding Christ that they won't know how to cope with it. Now that's the problem I want for your church. That's a good problem. And we all ought to be praying. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mark, over to you.